This is Wisconsin Profits, the top Wisconsin-based business podcast. We'll hear from business leaders, entrepreneurs, and the influential people in the Badger State. Here's your host, Alex Byrne. And we're back. We have Ian today from the greater Milwaukee area. Hey, hi, Ian. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you. Yeah, of course. Uh, could you just give a little background about yourself? Yeah, so pretty much Wisconsin through and through. Got here when I was three, so pretty much all my memories are in this state. Graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 2017. Been living in Milwaukee, which is where I grew up ever since. And I mean, I describe myself as kind of like, you know, being an introverted personality, kind of always figuring out things to do on my own has been uh, kind of just like my MO. So being like a self-starter, getting things going off the ground just by myself has always been a, a really big interest of mine. So that kind of, I fit quite nicely into starting something else on my own when I saw the opportunity after college and even going back to high school, doing a little yard care company with a couple friends of mine. So always had that, I guess, in my DNA to, you know, do something that I thought would give me the freedom to, you know, kind of create my own schedule and um, just do things the way I want to and make an impact. So did you always know you wanted to do something like be an entrepreneur or did that just come about when you found an idea? <clears throat> yeah, it's funny because like before I even knew what the word was, I think I was had that mindset and thinking back after I learned like, oh, this is what I want to do and what I kind of did as a child, it, it makes perfect sense. So even like my brother would have friends over when I was a kid and I would like make a fake menu, a restaurant, like <laughs> with all the food that we had in the house and just like, we had a little fake cash register. So I was pretty young and just like collect fake money from them. So like running my own fake restaurant to uh, having a friend of mine who did some yard care around his, his block and just trying to grow that into, you know, more full fledged operation with, uh, three of us and we continued that from high school into college in the summers and grew to pretty good size before we had to you know go for greener pastures and more of a, a corporate button-up job but um, I've always been looking and that's kind of what led me into helium books of an opportunity to you know spread my wings out a little bit and do my own thing right so with this lawn care business you're talking about what was the absolute best part about running it Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it sounds, I mean, the freedom aspect's really nice, not having like a, a schedule. I think I'll probably touch on that theme quite a bit here today. It's one of the things I value most, especially in terms of like a, a work-life balance. And um, I think the best part was just seeing it grow because we started with just, you know, door-to-door -door flyers in our, in our neighborhood of Whitefish Bay, just north of Milwaukee. And just seeing that that kind of worked and it was pretty much that simple. Obviously, I think we got a little bit lucky and people, you know, one, they had the money to spend and two were willing to give um, a couple high school or college kids a shot just to, you know, maintain their yard and not do anything crazy. But um, just seeing that grow and seeing the referrals that we got from that and seeing that we were providing value to people's lives was really rewarding. Obviously, the work sometimes wasn't great, just getting down on your hands and knees, weeding, stuff like that. But um, and then, you know, obviously the money that comes with it as a, as a young kid and, you know, using that to have fun in the summer is makes it all the more worthwhile yeah. for sure. So this question will come up again in a different context with helium, but what, how'd you get your first customer? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think our first customer probably came from, 
my now co-founder of Helium Books, Jacob Carlson, um, we started this lawn care company together in high school. We've known each other since middle school. So we go way back and I think he had some clients around his block as he had like a little Jake's can do service, I think is what he called it. He had some little flyers and distributed them. Um, we just kind of ramped it up a bit, gave it a more official name to sound a little bit better. And I think we started with some of his customers, but yeah, like I said, it was all, we just made a simple little flyer here, all the things we do threw a logo on it. It was called Bay Yard Care. Um, and you know, the, the context came in, which was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, what I've seen as a trend is people who start young tend to keep doing things by their own, being an entrepreneur later in life, doing something a little bit bigger yeah. as they grow up. Absolutely. Okay. So Helium Books, could you give us the elevator pitch? Yeah. Helium Books is, as of right now, it's the only free way for Milwaukee County residents to get books delivered to their home. Won't be free forever. Um, it started off free for a couple of reasons, but basically what we do is we deliver the library to your house. So the idea stemmed from a trip that I made to the local library in Whitefish Bay after graduating college. I knew, you know, if my education formally was going to end, I'm not in a classroom setting. Um, I'm going to have to keep learning and I'm going to have to keep doing it on my own if I want to get to where I want to get to in life. So I figured books are the best way to do that. I'll be the first to admit I was never a big reader growing up. Um, this is a newfound hobby and a newfound passion for me. Um, you know, I'd read college textbooks, high school textbooks, but Beyond that, reading, um, maybe because of that, reading never seemed interesting outside of the school context. But um, like I said, going back to when I graduated college, I knew it was the books were the best way to keep that education flowing, keep learning. And going to the local library just made sense for me. Obviously, coming out of college, not a lot of money, limited budget. So free books from the library um, was a home run for me. And then I realized, you know, a lot of the times I would go there and they wouldn't have the books that I was looking for at that library. But fortunately, Milwaukee has a great system of connected libraries. I think it's in the mid twenties of libraries that share resources. And um, you know, if you wanted to get a book delivered to your library, library, the library system does do that. It just takes days to maybe weeks to get that book in your hands. But figured, you know, this is kind of stifling my desire to read, not having the book available to me right now. So why don't we just take a business model that exists with DoorDash or Uber Eats um, and apply that to library books. So getting books from our network of local libraries around us into your hands and not even enabling you to just stay at home and get the books that you want and the convenience that you've actually really come to expect in today's day and age. Right. Yeah. So you said the business is not making well money if you're not charging for a library delivery. Right. So when you do decide to charge, who's going to front the cost, the library or the consumer? It'll be the individual consumer. Um, we've tried to work with libraries to get them on board, you know, to see the value in what we're providing, basically be their delivery arm. And libraries, I mean, that's not common for libraries. A lot of them have had like bookmobiles, they call them in the past, which is like a traveling library. Um, that's a lot uh, more bare bones than what we're trying to offer. Um, basically any, any book to any person in the county. <clears throat> and um, just met a little bit of resistance. I think it was, more pandemic related and just other things that were more important to them. Um, obviously, you know, it's hard to get a governmental body to, to move on things. And we've understood that. And we, we've made good connections within our local library systems. And we hope to, you know, grow that relationship in the future. But right now would be, would be individual readers who would front that cause, hopefully with the goal of maybe libraries not fronting all of it, but perhaps subsidizing it, noticing that um, 
we're helping them achieve their goals of, you know, circulation in right. the future. So what was the, when did you realize that you could start something yourself and what was the hardest part about starting? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because it is a really personal decision um, to know when you're ready. Like obviously starting a lawn care company um, in high school, it was rather easy. I mean, we didn't, we used our parents' equipment. Um, we didn't really have many costs. So the costs were just passing on to the customer. Um, parents fronted the, the brunt of it, just, you know, maintaining their equipment and stuff like that. So it wasn't necessarily a real, real business and learning how to actually operate one. It's been a, it's been a pretty, pretty steep learning curve for us, but um, yeah, I think the point where I knew I was ready to start it is definitely not when I had the idea. So I had the idea in the summer of 2017, just a few months after I graduated college. It's like, yes, I can really run with this. I can make this happen quickly. That was not the case. I think some people in their, just the way they, they're wired and the way they operate could have, could have turned that around in a couple months and got that off the ground. But, you know, I'm a planner, I'm an organizer, and I like to, you know, sort out all my thoughts before I do something and jump in. So I launched it with Jacob, uh, our co-founder in September of 2019. So it took, geez, two years from idea to actual launch. And, you know, I think leading up to that, a lot of it was, whether I like to admit it or not, a fear of actually, you know, seeing this out in the open seeing this and how people would react to it and ultimately fear of failure. And um, I think, you know, in theory, I probably could have launched it after a year. I think enough was probably there, but just, you know, not procrastinating, but just maybe doing more than was really necessary um, out of that fear of not really knowing what would happen once the launch date happened. But once I said it, I was committed to it. It was September 3rd, 2019. I'll never forget that day. Um, we had some tech issues on our website, of course. Things go <laughs> wrong. And um, But I think personally, going back to your question, Alex, it's, I think for me, and I think for a lot of people, once you, once you make the decision in your head that you're going to do something, um, it becomes a lot more clear that uh, you're ready. So I think once that decision comes to you and you're like, I can actually do this, most people are likely to follow through and maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just the way I think, but um, when I set my mind to something and I actually put a deadline on it, I usually follow through with it and you know, you're never going to be fully ready by any means, but um, I think you just, you're better off jumping at some point. And then that kind of leads me into, you know, eventually quitting my corporate job, um, which I had since graduation for pretty much, just nearing on three years before I quit, right before the pandemic started in March of 2020. That was another thing that I know I was pretty disillusioned by the, <clears throat> the corporate life early on. Not so much just because of the job and <clears throat> not a great fit there. But um, I think just, you know, like I said at the beginning, a common theme is just the freedom to create my own schedule, do what I wanted to do and be itself, be a self-starter like I thought myself to be at, at the true core. And, you know, I probably, you know, stood on that decision and waited for months and months and months longer than I had to um, just saying, am I ready? Because it, it's a big jump going from a, a solid income and a stable income to nothing. Um, so planning for that financially on a personal level and just making sure that I would have a way to make that work 
um, and have the runway to give helium my full attention for as long as possible. Um, but again, I made the decision on a given day that I was going to hand in my two weeks and I did it. And then after that, you don't really have a choice. You're going to go with it um, and you're going to have to make it work. So I think kind of making yourself uncomfortable is one thing. And then making sure that you have a plan. It doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be on a whim, at least for me that worked out best. Yeah. So during this time, if you could go back, what advice would you give yourself before starting or because you're, you know, you're fearing failure, what would, what advice would you give to yourself or maybe somebody else who's in the same position? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another great question. Um, I think you just have to do it. I I think, you know, deep down in your heart, that this is something that you want to do that you're probably going to do and you're, you would regret not doing it um, probably for the rest of your life. It's not going to be easy. Um, nothing worthwhile really is, but it, it, at your core, you know, you need to do it. So I would say make a plan. Um, and I've, and I've thought about this a lot. And so is my co-founder, like, we're not the type of people who are just going to, you know, jump and hope for the best. Some people are and more power to them. They can make it work. But, um, we spent, we spent a lot of time, you know, thinking personally about what our life would look like and how we could make the changes necessary to, you know, adjust to this new lifestyle that we were going to kind of be forced to live if we wanted to pursue our top priority. And I think if you really value it enough and like, this is the path that you want to take, whether it be professionally, like in this regard, or maybe you want to take a personal step to do something, maybe it's travel or move or, you know, take an extended vacation, just, make a plan. Um, and once you see that plan, maybe on paper, you notice that it is, it's doable. And, um, once you have that reassurance, I think it becomes all the more easier to actually follow through with it. You know, when did you decide to throw in the towel in corporate life? Ah, okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. I decided in February of 2020. So I remember having discussions with my boss about, you know, this pandemic's getting more and more serious and people are stuck on cruise ships. I don't think it's ever going to be huge. Like, obviously this was unprecedented. No one could ever expect it, how, how vast it was. And I decided not because of the pandemic or anything, just a lot of things building up at work. Just like, I really don't want to be here. It's detracting from my main goal and my main purpose that I see going forward with helium and helium books. And, um, just the workload was not fulfilling. Um, just found myself kind of dreading going into work every day. And at that point, I was like, this is the date I'm going to set for my two weeks. It was the end of February. So I'd be done in mid March and, you know, asked my, asked my parents how to, you know, properly do that in a professional manner, not to burn any bridges and went through with, you know, sending the email to my bosses and letting the rest of the people I work with know. And from there it was final and the rest is history i suppose yeah so with helium books going back to that when did you get your first customer or delivery and how'd you get that did you use a marketing channel did you reach out to somebody direct sales how'd you do it yeah so that was uh a big part of that lead up to the launch and probably one of the reasons why we launched later than i would have thought at the beginning is like an outreach strategy and like a like a like a public relations strategy for lack of a better term around the launch 
So reaching out to a lot of local media, um, like with a little press release that I had written up, see if they would publish it. Like this, this company, here's what we do. We're launching on September 3rd. Here's our website. Here's how to use it. All those sort of things. And got a lot of good uh, experience through that. Um, just seeing how that kind of that aspect of, you know, digital media and public relations actually works. And um, we're fortunate enough to be, you know, featured or, you know, published in a good amount of local media uh, publications and um, did a lot of work beforehand, you know, building up a social media following, kind of creating some buzz around a launch date once it was known across all these different platforms. And really that was, <clears throat> that was the core of the strategy. Um, getting people, getting in front of the eyes as many Milwaukeeans as we can, wherever we could. Um, a lot of it was digital. We didn't, we didn't take up the old Bay Yard Care route of door-to-door uh, -door flyers. That was an idea that I had at the start. It's like, hey, that worked. Um, but um, actually getting the materials and uh, doing the door-to-door the -door was actually probably just too time-consuming and uh, cost prohibitive for us at the time. Um, but we got our first customer on launch day, September 3rd. Like I said, we had some issues with the website, but we did have one customer. And, um, you know, from there, it's been ebbs and flows throughout um, our history here since that launch date. But I'm happy to get one on launch day. I think we expected a little bit more, you know, just wishful thinking. But um, yeah, it was an exciting moment, no doubt. Yeah. We'll never forget that first customer, her name, where she lives, all that good stuff. But, <laughs> Um, you know, it was, it was good validation that what we were working on had, had some, um, had some legs to it and provided some value to people. So yeah. So it was some momentum to keep going. Yeah, definitely. It's always good. To, once you can get the first one, you can get thousands more. Yeah. That's the idea. Yep. So how are you funding this venture? So right now it's all bootstrapped, um, with, uh, our, our money, Jacob and myself. Um, actually that's not true. It was bootstrapped until we had a crowdfunding campaign a couple months ago, um, which we raised a few thousand dollars from friends and family. Um, really great to see the generosity shown by, you know, people that we know, um, you know, tight connections and even loose connections contributing to, you know, our mission and what we're trying to do. It's great to see. And again, gave us a lot of, uh, excitement around what we're doing and people believing in it is obviously a good vote of confidence for us moving forward. Um, so right with that, that few thousand dollars and a few thousand dollars uh, up front from Jacob and myself, um, that's how we're keeping this thing afloat. So it's a very lean operation. Um, spending money is a big decision for us, whatever it may be. And we have to be smart with, you know, our resources there. But, you know, ideally in the future, we're looking to, to grow this into, you know, an investable business for someone to come in and kind of give us the capital that we need to, you know, really um, you know, skyrocket and, and boost our growth to another level. Right. So you right now you're only in Milwaukee County? That's correct. And yeah, that was uh, another story. I won't get into too much detail, but basically we are trying to, you know, offer the service to pretty much anyone who wanted it um, within a certain bound, obviously being that we're driving and delivering these books. But someone mentioned, um, funny, funnily enough, from like a college in Illinois, they were doing a little study on what we were offering. I guess they found it really interesting. And they said, um, you probably don't want to offer books from Milwaukee County libraries to residents outside of Milwaukee County just because of tax implications. And um, they're not tax paying members oh. of the county. 
and that's how the money that's how libraries get funded through taxpayers so basically they're getting the benefit of the books that they're not paying for in a, in a sense very indirectly but made sense to us and obviously it makes sense um, on a general level so we just decided to limit our scope to milwaukee county which actually wasn't necessarily a bad thing it allowed us to you know define our area and um, gave us a good good place to start off our operations and see if it works in this system. And if so, we can transfer it to, you know, other systems across the state and ideally the country one day. Right. So how do you plan on scaling the tech throughout Wisconsin and maybe eventually the country? Yeah. So right now we're working on building out a more, you know, feature friendly, user friendly, <coughs> excuse me, website um, that makes the whole process easier. Um, given that Jacob and myself don't have a tech background, the website is um, not as not as functional and not as pretty as we would like it to be. It gets the job done, but not in the best way possible. So we're working on building on a new version of this website, which we hope to launch in the coming months. Um, and that will really allow us to um, kind of have a, like a, almost like a set it and forget it um, perspective from the tech side where we can you know, use that website um, obviously make some minor tweaks as we try to expand to different library systems that are across the state. Obviously, I think we'll attack, you know, bigger markets first and foremost. So I think Madison, like the Green Bay area perhaps would be next before moving into very large markets such as Chicago. Obviously, a lot to learn before we do that. And a lot to still do here in Milwaukee County to, you know, have a system that is scalable, and basically a copy and paste, like we, we like to refer to, um, where we can have it basically working so well here where we can just kind of take the blueprint, make some tweaks as necessary and apply it to different markets pretty simply. So still some work to do on that front um, in terms of, you know, acquiring drivers, getting, you know, an app set up for drivers and ideally a mobile app set up for consumers in the future, just to make ordering as easy as possible. And then, yeah, taking that system and transferring to other places. So do you have any drivers right now or is that uh, you and your co-founder? Right now it's just us. So I guess it's, it's good and bad because it's good because we have full control. And we know what we're doing. It's bad because that obviously means the demand is not quite where we want it to be, where we would need to hire more drivers. And um, I think the need for drivers will come into play, hopefully um, sooner rather than later, given that we are trying to actually get into schools, go to a more B2B route in addition to our traditional, um, you know, one-off ordering from your average Joe reader. Um, and with the school route, that's just a, a higher volume of books and um, more work from the, you know, the sourcing end. So the so from getting books from libraries and actually returning them when they're finished. And um, that might be just too much for Jacob and I to handle. Hopefully it is. And it'll really force us to go out and, you know, develop a, a driver acquisition strategy and get them, you know, onboarded and making sure that they're um, doing what we want them to do and that they're, they're getting value from it as well. So I think that's a good step for us, hopefully, in terms of, you know, like I said, creating that system of how we're doing it here in Milwaukee County, getting it to a point where we can yeah, copy and paste it. And obviously a big, big portion of that is getting, getting drivers on board and, and working for us. Right. So where do you see like big picture healing books in three, four, five years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think big picture, I, I see us kind of ideally as the, as the go-to way for people in Wisconsin to get books. And I say Wisconsin 
not knowing exactly, you know, how our market expansion would happen if it were to. Um, but I want Helium Books to be the way for, you know, readers of all kinds. And we have some things in the works where we're trying to attract, you know, less avid readers to get to start reading. Um, we And then obviously our system lends itself well to providing the benefits that readers want. And, you know, the people who are reading already, I think we get books in their hands in a lot better fashion than they are than the options available to them today outside of Helium Books. So readers of all kinds, whether you're an avid reader or not so avid reader, and then people who need books for their schools, people who need books for facilities like retirement homes, anyone who needs books on a greater scale, I think we're in a position to you know, provide those books in the best way possible as well. So being the go-to way for people to get books in whatever setting, yeah, I think is the goal for us and then in the near and long-term future, wherever that happens to be. So with Helium Books so far, what has been the hardest part about running it? Yeah, the hardest part is, uh, I think, the business. I mean, it's tying, tying into personal, but like getting motivated to basically show up day in and day out. And then show up, I mean, I mean I'm working from home, but like show up and actually working on the business when especially you know you don't see the growth that you're expecting or that you think should be happening um it's hard to you know stick with something when it's you know it's not meeting your expectations and especially when you have everything else from life kind of not getting in the way but you know having its place and you know taking up time as well and you have those personal responsibilities and for us a lot of that is you know quite honestly it's financial given that we're, we're, we have no income from this at the moment <laughs> and trying to make ends meet from that perspective all the while, you know, keeping a social life and stuff like that. So the pressures kind of build up and, you know, when the business isn't working like you thought, or like you hoped, um, it's hard to, you know, keep at it, but you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, um, what you're doing is today might not have an impact, but, you know, compile together with, with what you do every day, as long as we're confident in the strategy that we're, we're putting forward and we're executing on it. Um, you know, there's no reason to think that it shouldn't work. We know that what we're providing has value. Um, we've been assured of that from numerous people. And we know that if we just keep with it and keep at it, it should work. And obviously that's what we're hoping for, but the hardest part is, you know, seeing that when, things are a lot less transparent and a lot more opaque when you're trying to look forward into the future. But having that strong vision is obviously really important to keep you going. Right. And, and I know you touched on this one a little bit earlier, but what's the most fulfilling part about running it? Yeah, the most fulfilling part is definitely um, the customer feedback that we get. So at the start, we had um, one customer in particular who would write us, you know, letters about the books she's read and the insights that she got from them. So um, these are these are insights and you know kind of personal revelations that she might not have had should she not have used her service. So you know knowing that we've had a direct impact on her life and you know I think we've had an impact on all of our customers, but um, obviously for her it's easier for us to see given that she's writing us a letter about how the books that she got through our service impacted her life directly. And then more recently, um, we've gotten into schools a little bit here, um, being basically a library as a service for them. And we just finished up a little bit of a, a summer pilot program at a local school here in Milwaukee County. 
and we got a lot of great drawings um, and just thank you letters from, I think it was a fourth grade classroom, all their students thanking Helium Books for bringing them the books they want and how it made them want to read more and all these great things. So um, knowing that we are inspiring like a next generation of readers um, to fall in love with reading and, you know, instill a love for reading within them is, I mean, couldn't, couldn't ask for more than that in terms of what we set out to do as a company. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Biggest lesson I learned is to be patient. Um, I wouldn't say that was a characteristic I had before starting this company. Um, especially like, I think a lot of founders can relate to this. Like you have an idea, obviously you see the value in it more than probably anyone. Um, and I think it's your job obviously to convey that value, um, be a salesman and basically make people realize what you see in the business as well. But um, being that you see the value in it more than anyone, um, you think that it should take off faster than it usually does. At least that's been the case for Jacob and myself. Um, absolutely. Um, we see that, you know, free books, why wouldn't you want to at least give this a try once you hear about us? So, you know, seeing marketing campaigns where people show interest but never actually convert into customers is confusing. And, um, you know, just realizing that it takes a lot of touch points for people to trust a new company, especially, and um, it's it's our job to continuously, uh, you know, harp on what our value proposition is to the two readers out there and um, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to, how often do, you know, we actually see and hear of a new company and then buy from them that day or use their service that day, even if it is free. So um, realizing that you have to be patient and that you have to kind of be consistent in what you're doing, even though, like I said before, you might not see the value that day, um, it should be worth it. And hopefully it's worth it in the end. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And then, so what do you, this is kind of going down the more book road. Where do you sure. see digital and hard copy books? Because I know personally, I like reading hard copy, but everyone's telling me that hard copy is gone and we're only going to be reading digital, <laughs> but I like the actually having the physical book in my hand do you think that's something that other people want or is this gonna just continually trend towards digital reading yeah that's a that's a very fair question and something that i was uh, very keen on researching when i first thought of the idea is like are people even reading physical books anymore because you know you have the kindle you have the nook and um honestly that's where that's where my mom does most of her reading almost all of her reading is on her kindle and i see the value in that but um, upon doing that research I think over two thirds of people still prefer print books, which was, you know, higher than I expected. And obviously um, music to my ears, trying to start a physical book delivery company. Um, and I think it's trending where eBooks are actually getting a little bit flat. Audiobooks are actually, um, not that they're a threat because it is um, still reading in my opinion and we value that in any form, but um, they're trending the most they're trending upward the most of any any book medium. Um, I think they've almost surpassed eBooks at this point in terms of popularity. Print books are obviously still the favorite um, for whatever reason, whether it be logical or not. People just prefer, you know, cracking open a book, um, whether it be the smell, just the, the feel of the book and just actually turning pages, what have you. But um, they're still the go-to method. And um, I don't know if that'll change in the future. Um, but I still think there will always be a market out there for people who prefer print books versus anything else. And um, 
you know, I'm here to encourage reading of all kinds. So whether that be on, you know, your Kindle in an ebook form or listening to audiobooks in the car, which both Jacob and myself have actually recently started doing just because it's a great way to, you know, absorb more information when you're you're not physically able to read. Um, just go for it. Just just read more books in whatever way you can. Yeah. I think for me, reading a paper copy book is disconnects me from all the digital devices that we, yeah. you know, we, we have nowadays. And I think that's really relaxing. Yeah. And I'll always want to read a paper book. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's it's an easy way to like liter- literally uh, focus on something that's not digital. Like you literally have to open the book and turn pages and not interact with the screen. So I get you completely. Yeah. So the last question, what is your favorite book and why? My favorite book has been for, since I read it, uh, a book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And that is a book about someone whose story I've heard before I actually read it. Um, So I'm kind of one who just buys into like, you know, maybe it's, you know, trying to pander to people, but like motivation on like motivational speeches, motivation, you know, tapes, not tapes, but like YouTube videos and stuff like that. Um, really buy into that stuff. Really uh, gets me going for the for whatever I want to do um, in the given day. But his story is one that kind of came up um, in a motivational video I watched on YouTube probably years ago. And David Goggins, the author of this book, was actually uh, grew up in rural Indiana, and um, as a as a black boy, you know, faced a lot of racism growing up and just really had no self-esteem. Um, his weight ballooned to like 300 pounds, I believe. And he was just, he was a, a pet or a pest exterminator um, in his early 20s, maybe late teens, <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, at one point, which the book goes into great detail about, uh, he was watching like, I think making the cut, surviving the cut, those Navy SEAL programs that are on like, gosh, National Geographic or Discovery Channel or whatever. And he's like, you know, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And coming from someone who's over 300 pounds, never really had anything uh, to get him going in life, to get him motivated. Um, this was a, obviously a, a big revelation. And so he, he made some calls, basically did the work, lost all the weight to become a Navy SEAL, um, became one of the, the most renowned and, you know, recognized and decorated SEALs um, in his class. Um, he goes through the stories of they have to do a hell week uh to you know pass navy seal training which is basically you know days based days of no sleep just physical activity grueling um exhaustion he had to go through that three times given injuries and stuff like that and um he's just got a mindset that has flipped from the moment he decided to be a seal that is just probably too extreme for me and for 99 percent of the population <laughs> but um if you can take anything from it it's the fact that you really can do anything that you put your mind to. And I know that sounds corny or cliche, but um, he's a he's a living testament to that. He's an ultra marathoner now, so he can run. He does m- runs of over 100 miles at a time. And just the way he turned his life around is always inspiring to me to, to revisit and um, just, you know, a reminder that, you know, whatever you're going through, you can get through it. And I think that book, whether, I mean, although it has a lot of harsh languages, really a, a kick in the butt to to get going on what you want to do in life and not make excuses because 
honestly, no one really cares about them, nor should you. And um, they just get in the way. So that book will always be my favorite, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I think that's a great note to end on. You know, you can do what you want to do. Just get started. Yeah, totally agree. Just, you know, you got to take that leap, but um, there's no, there's no saying there's one way to do it. If you want to, if you want to take more time with it, take your time, but I think you got to go for it no matter what. Yeah. Well, Ian, thank you for coming on today. It was great stuff you're doing and I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks for having me.